everybody. Good morning this morning. We're continuing our uh, morning series of talks uh, from Luke's Gospel, uh, working our way through different passages in Luke each Sunday morning, looking at how the Word of God and the Spirit of God in the, in the ministry of Jesus and in, in, in that book come together and you see God at work. And in the verses that we're going to look at this morning, we see uh, Jesus uh, at work in, in power. We're reading from Luke chapter 11, just a few verses from verse 14 to verse 23. Now, he, Jesus was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, while others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. I just want to pray again, Lord. I pray the covering of the blood of Jesus over all of us, over those nearest and dearest to us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would present yourself here powerfully with your Holy Spirit. Uh, and Lord, that you would release your Holy Spirit in this place to bring truth, Lord, to bear upon our lives and to fill us, we pray, with, with grace and to fill us, we pray, with truth. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. These are uh, incredible verses. They're, they're great verses. When Jesus was here on earth, his ministry was one of, of preaching. His ministry was one of teaching. His ministry was one of healing. And his ministry was one of proclaiming that the kingdom of God was near or that the kingdom of God was among them. Uh, but there were those around him. There were those back then, as there are now, who, first of all, would want to explain away his miraculous acts and his miraculous deeds and his miraculous works. There were those who would want to say that Jesus had no power to perform miracles. And there are still those voices around today, both outside the church and tragically inside the church, that would want to say that Jesus no longer works works of power, works of miracles. Many also in the days of Jesus actually wanted to, to, to deny quite uh, outrightly that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the Christ, that Jesus was the Son of God, that Jesus was the only way to God. And again, tragically, there are those outside and those inside the church 
that would want to, to weaken that or, 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 or would want to deny that. Jesus here very clearly performs a miraculous act. He does an incredible work of power and he demonstrates that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he is the unique and the only Son of God, that he is the way to God. And it reminds us that it really does matter what we believe. People will say to us today, and you probably heard them say as well, sure, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe. As long as you believe. I told the 10 o'clock, I'm going to tell you the same. It's a load of crap, a load of rubbish. It means nothing, okay? It's just not true. Just not true. It really, really matters what we believe really matters what we believe. It determines where we're going to spend eternity. Billy Graham really understood this. He would say, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. Friends, the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The Bible doesn't say, believe in the church or believe in David McClay or believe in Muhammad or, or believe in X or Y or Z. The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you'll be rescued, you'll be made fit for heaven because Jesus is the way to the Father. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It matters, it so matters what you and what I believe. What we believe will determine where we're going to spend eternity, whether it's heaven or hell. What we believe will shape how we do life tomorrow in the workplace or in our homes or, or wherever. What we believe actually is at the very, becomes at the very core of, of who we are. We, this morning, affirmed actually two creeds. I didn't know that was going to happen. We had the Nicene Creed, which we affirmed together, and then we had the Apostles' Creed, which we said together. There's a third creed that probably some of you have never heard of called the Athanasian Creed. And it's found at the very back of the prayer book. And it really is very, very clear that we've got to be Trinitarian, that we've got to believe in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that there is one God who is three persons in one God. It's a mystery. It's hard for us to get our heads around. It actually uses the word incomprehensible in that creed. You look it up, it's on page 771. You can look it up in a prayer book later. Whenever I was a curate, we used to say it three times a year. And there was a wee old man at the door one Sunday, because it's quite long, it takes a long time to say it. And it talks about the Father incomprehensible, the Son incomprehensible, the Spirit incomprehensible, the Father uncreate, the Spirit uncreate, the, the, the Son uncreate, and so on. And this wee man at the door said, see that this morning, that whole thing was, un, was incomprehensible. In a sense, we shouldn't be amazed at that because he's God, but he is Trinity. And as a church, we are Trinitarian. And actually, any group that is not Trinitarian, I would go so far as to say, actually, they're they're a sect. We're Trinitarian in who we are and in what we believe. We have the creeds to remind us of that. We have the scriptures in their entirety. We have the Old Testament and we have the New Testament. And we interpret the Scriptures by taking Scripture with Scripture. We don't take little bits in isolation, but we take Scripture with Scripture to understand what it is God wants us to know and how He wants us to live. And that includes, for example, the Ten Commandments, all ten of them. 
that we don't commit adultery, that we don't steal, that we don't murder, that we observe a, a Sabbath day. Those commandments are all in there for our good and for God's glory. And as we turn to these verses this morning, there's, there's three very real truths that I just want us to revisit. They're, they're, they're fundamental. They're truths that we should all know and already understand. But I heard somebody say a while back that if you don't keep the main thing, the main thing, it stops being the main thing. And if you don't actually keep repeating what needs to be repeated, then it stops being the thing that everyone believes. And so it's really important that we just every so often really revisit some of the, the basic truths. So we're going to do that this morning. We see in these verses, first of all, that the devil and his demonic helpers were then and are now real. The devil is not a myth for Halloween. He's real. He's real. He's a reality. He was a reality in the days of Jesus. He turned up, but he was neither welcome nor invited, and he does the same today. But the good news is this, that he's been overcome by the blood of Christ. He's been defeated by the death and resurrection of Jesus, and his days are numbered. We are to proclaim the works of Christ until Christ returns. Look here in this chapter and in other chapters speaks of demonic spirits. He speaks of unclean spirits. He speaks elsewhere of violent spirits. And he speaks in this verse of a demonic spirit that was a mute spirit, a spirit that was unable to speak. Because the devil robs and the devil kills and the devil destroys. Verse 14, now he was casting out a demon that was mute when the demon had gone out. The mute man spoke and the people marveled. This demonic power had so impacted this man's life that he was unable to speak. As soon as the demonic power is driven out of this man, he's able to speak because the devil robs. But Jesus gives life and Jesus restores and Jesus heals and Jesus imparts blessing. Uh, thinking about today, I, I look back at what uh, J.C. Ryle, he, he was a, a great uh, leader of the church some hundreds of years back. He was very direct in what he had to say. And he, and, he, and he said this about these verses. He said, do we suppose that there is no such thing as the influence of a dumb spirit in the present day? If we do, we had better think again. What shall we say of those who never speak to God? who never use their tongues in prayer or praise, who never use that organ which is a man's glory in the service of him who made it. What can we say in a word? Who can speak to everyone but God? What can we say but that Satan has despoiled them of the truest use of the tongue? What ought we to say but that they are possessed with a dumb devil? The prayerless man is dead while he lives. The dumb devil is not yet extinct. C.S. Lewis, I think, captures how we need to actually deal with the evil one. We, we ought not to give him too much attention, C.S. Lewis says, because he is a defeated foe, defeated by Jesus on the cross. But on the other hand, we do need to recognize that he's real, and we should never deny his existence, because he is Satan, the father of lies, who comes to steal, who comes to kill, and who comes to destroy. 
but he's defeated. He's defeated. We had a funeral this week of a lovely saint of God from this church. We stood at the grave, and as we always do at a funeral service, there's these words, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. If you're in Christ, you will live forever. If you're in Christ, there's a heaven. If, in, if you're in Christ, the devil has been defeated. Yes, he would love for you to spend eternity separated from God in hell itself. But the devil's a defeated foe. And when we believe in Christ, when we're in Christ, when we've received Christ as our Savior, when we're following Christ, heaven is our home. Heaven is our home and the devil is a defeated foe. Secondly, we see in these verses this morning that Jesus back then and Jesus now is able to make the deaf hear and he's able to make the dumb to speak. Yes, it was a physical miracle that happened here and Jesus performs, God performs today through his people, through his church, through you and through me. People are healed, people are set free, people are blessed, people are delivered. He is a miracle working God. He really is a miracle working God. We've got to recover something of this reality that God is supernatural. We don't like that word supernatural because we think it's a freaky word. It simply means that God is able to operate outside of the natural. About several hundred years ago, it sort of crept into the church and it has continued down to this day, what we call the Enlightenment which really sort of wants to deny anything supernatural. I remember at Adolfo, of course, not here, but back in the day somewhere else. And there was a lady, when I used the phrase in the first talk about God being supernatural, she got really, really upset. And she came to me after, she said, we don't want any of this supernatural stuff here, not in this church. To which I had to say, well, I'm sorry. If you're going to have God, you're going to have the supernatural because that's who he is. He's a supernatural God who does supernatural things, who works miracles. It's incredible. He's wonderful. And in these verses as well, there's, there's actually a lesson that actually takes us beyond the physical, that we're to use our eyes to see as God sees, that we're to use our ears to hear as God hears, that we're to use our lips and our mouths to speak as God would have us speak. In other words, that we're to be made holy, that we're to be cleansed, that we're to be made new again, that we're to be filled with the Spirit, that we're to be, well, the old-fashioned word was sanctified, that we're to be made more like Jesus Christ. So that our lives would be characterized by holy looking, by holy hearing, by holy speaking. And that these would be the things that would characterize the life of the follower of Jesus. But those around Jesus in the days of Jesus wanted to deny that he was a miracle working God. And some of them wanted to deny that he even was the Messiah, that he was the Christ, that he was the way, that he was the truth, and that he was the life. And so we read in verse 15 and following, some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, while others to test him 
kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. They were determined to deny that Jesus was a miracle-working God, that he was the source of power to bring healing and deliverance and blessing and transform people's lives and lead people out of darkness into light and from following Satan to following God, and that he was the God that could renew and change and make lovely lives that had been spoiled and destroyed by sin. They also wanted to deny that he was the Christ, that he was the Messiah, that he was the promised one, that he was the one that the prophets had foretold, that he was the one that would come to be the world's savior. They wanted to suggest that he was just one like, like others, just, a, just a, another prophet or just another teacher. There's still those around today who want to say that, that he's, well, he set him alongside Muhammad set him alongside some other great leader, set him alongside whoever, whatever. Friends, he's the Christ. He's the perfect, holy, sinless Son of God. And we believe in him and we love him and we want to follow him and we want to become more like him because he's the Christ. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life, he's the only way to God. He's the good shepherd as that stained glass window, that little one at the back reminds us, who laid down his life for you and I, his sheep. The Bible tells us that those who would say that he can be set aside others are wolves. Wolves. Paul said, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happens among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have the faith. We need to be people of real faith. Whenever you were baptized, either you yourself at your baptism or somebody uh, on your behalf at your baptism was asked, do you reject the devil and all proud rebellion against God? And you said, I reject them. I reject them. You were, uh, were asked, or they were asked, do you renounce the deceit and corruption of evil? And you said, I renounce them. No more, no more, no longer. You were asked, do you repent of the sins that separate us from God and neighbor? You said, I repent of them. I turn away from them. I want to be different. I want to be clean. I want to be pure. I want to be holy. You or they were asked, do you turn to Christ as Savior? The answer, I turn to Christ. Do you submit to Christ as Lord? The answer was, I submit to Christ. Do you come to Christ the way, the truth, and the life? And you or they answered, I come to Christ because we've got to come to Christ. He's the one to come to. He's the one that gives life. He's the one that transforms and changes. Let's recover that our God transforms lives can transform a nation, can renew a church. That's who he is. And let's get real that if folks suggest anything different, the Bible says clearly wolves in sheep's clothing, 
I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Thirdly this morning, we see here that Jesus drives out this demon. He drives out this demon. He deals with this demon. Verses 20 and 22, but if by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusts and divides his spoil. The finger of God. Luke is talking here about the work of the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit who is alive and well and who has been given to the church for today, for this hour, right here, right now, 2019, the 3rd of November, the Holy Spirit is here. He's here and he's real and he wants to change lives. When Luke talks about the finger of God, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. This demonic, dumb spirit had lived in this man we don't know for how long, but he's driven out by the finger of God. He's driven out by the Holy Spirit. And the driving out of evil spirits is something that continues in the world and in the church today that the people of God can, through prayer, through fasting, through the finger of God, drive back, drive out, drive away the works of darkness. Paul was so clear about what the ministry of Jesus, the mission of the church was. Verse 18 of Acts 26, to open their eyes so that they may turn away from darkness. Turn away from darkness. Not kind of mess about in the dark and enjoy the dark and then go for a walk in the light and then come back into the dark again. There's too much of that around in the world and in the church today. And from the power of Satan to God that they might receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Here's the thing. Something crept into the church, I reckon, all over the world and in Belfast that went something like this. You need to try a little harder. You need to look a little nicer. You need to become a little bit more respectable. Let's mix that in with maybe getting a nicer house further up the road Let's mix that in with maybe acquiring a little bit better of an accent or a little bit better of uh, whatever. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong of any of those things. There's nothing particularly wonderful about them either. But none of them are the gospel. The gospel is about repentance towards God. It's about faith in Jesus Christ. It's about lives being changed. It's not about becoming nicer. It's about being totally transformed. Totally transformed by the power of God. Uh, and he captures it here in this incredible verse. Verse 23. Where we're told that we're either saved or lost, we're either washed by Christ or we're still filthy in our sins. Whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Are we willing, all of us, each of us? David, are you willing? Are you willing? Are we willing this morning to so position ourselves before God that we would 
live lives, holy lives, clean lives that are pleasing to God? Are we those that have, in the first instance, given our lives to Christ? Have we trusted in Christ as our Savior, or are we simply doing something by way of something religious that we don't even quite understand? Those who are not for me are against me. Are you for him this morning? Are you for Jesus this morning? Is Jesus at the very center, at the very core of your life this morning? Are you for Christ? Can you say with conviction, with honesty, with sincerity that Jesus is Lord? Jesus is Lord. The early Christians in caves, before they'd be martyred, would inscribe it on the walls. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Or one of the translations from the Greek was quite simply, Jesus, my Lord. Jesus, my Lord. Whoever is not for me is against me. And then there's this incredible bit of the verse that we forget about. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. It was some weeks before I arrived into here in Willowfield that I had a real encounter with God, actually, where this bit of this verse really impacted me. And where under God, far from perfectly, I've sought down the years since then, and God willing will continue to seek God in such a way that I would be a man that would lead a church that would gather. Because if we're not gathering, we'll scatter. So this morning, are you a gatherer? Because if you're not a gatherer, Jesus suggests here, in fact, he doesn't suggest it, it's not a suggestion, it's a fact. You scatter. Are you and I gathering through our home lives? Are we gathering through how we use our income? Are we gathering by how we exercise our influence? Are we gathering by how we use our time? Are we gathering by how our career is something that's sanctified and made holy by the Lord? Are we gathering locally? Are we gathering in our nation? Are we gathering in the world? Are we gathering for Christ? Because whoever does not gather with me scatters. May you and I give ourselves to a life where we're for him and where we're standing with him and gathering. Three great truths here. Satan, very real, but a defeated foe, a defeated foe. He's been, his day's coming. Meanwhile, we have power and authority over him. Jesus, God's son, with power to heal and he is God's son. He is Christ, the Savior, the only way to heaven and the only way to God. And he's the one who drives out demons, who drives out the forces of darkness. John Stott said this. He said, little is more influential for Christ than a life he is transforming are we in that place where we are being transformed by Jesus? Where he is being given permission to have his way in our lives? 
where he is Jesus the Lord. I shared, uh, Karen mentioned at the beginning of the both services, it just reminded me, uh, she mentioned for us to think about the people who had impacted our lives. I can think of several, but I think of a man who came to the north of Donegal to be a rector when he was 65. A man called Robert McKimmy. Robert had been a missionary in uh, Uganda and in Kenya. He uh, also had served in a number of parishes in and around uh, County Tyrone and County Derry, the Diocese of Derry. And, and at 65, he came to be the rector of a little place at the north of Donegal. And he started to gather young people. I was one of them. He started to gather young people in their teens and in their 20s. And he sowed into our lives. And we loved him. He was just an ordinary kind of a guy. But he taught God's word. And he prayed for us and he encouraged us and he challenged us. I remember him telling us once when we asked him about where we could maybe gain something by way of theological education. His answer was, well, I was one of 13 children and there was three rooms in the house, so there wasn't a lot of room, so I used to go down to the cave down by the beach and I'd spend hours there in the Lord's presence with God's word. And that's where God taught me most of what I know, he said. He went on to be a man to the very, very end. And he had tragedy in his life. He buried one of his children. He had lots of ups and downs in his life. But to the very, very end, to the very end, Robert was faithful to Christ. Friends, may that be your story. And may that be mine for Christ's sake. Amen. Let's stand. Let's stand.